1: Hey everyone, this is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals Podcast. Welcome to another episode. I'm Anthony Kazenza, joined by John Sheeran. For those of you joining us live, sorry we got started a couple minutes late, but we're here, we're talking Bengals with you, and there is still, even though it's a little slower period in the Bengals schedule and the, the NFL calendar, it's uh, it's there's still a lot to talk about. The, the team's kind of rallying the troops, and... Uh starting to get going towards training camp. John, how are you doing, buddy? Yeah,
2: I was actually browsing Instagram before I hopped in here and I was going through stories and mm-hmm. I saw one from one Anthony Casenza, <laughs> who is the latest uh, a- real estate agent of Casabella Realty Group. And I will just read what I what I read. Anthony Casenza is the brokerage's new agent, but he isn't a <laughs> quote unquote newbie. To the real estate industry <laughs> of course. starting with cr cbrg excuse me in september 2019 anthony was in the title insurance industry from there he was in the higher education wherein he has been able to give years of service on board of directors and great organizations he also moonlights as a sports writer and a podcaster of which he of which his shows have thousands of subscribers didn't know about that that's something new and interesting Anthony loves to assist buyers, sellers, and those looking at leases to allow him to be a valuable resource to you. So, like Anthony has done on multitude occasions, um, if you have any need for real, real estate agency services, hit up Casabella Realty Group because you <laughs> will be supporting not only this podcast, but... A member of this podcast.
1: Oh, I had no idea you were going to do that. That's really funny. Um, my face is a little red. Uh, but yes, I, it's really not a lie about the thousands of followers because and subscribers, because if you look at our YouTube channel, that is the case. Um, and if you look at the, the Facebook following of Cincy Jungle in general, which is part of, there's like 70 or 80,000 people that like that that uh, platform. But God, that's funny, John. Jeez, Louise, I didn't think you were going to do that. <laughs> Put me on, uh, put me on blast there. Wow. Uh, where do we go from here? Good Lord. It's a Fantastic headshot for those who didn't, <laughs> haven't seen it. Back. Uh, sometimes I dress up. Sometimes I, I look the part, not always, but yeah. So a little, uh, I guess day, day job career transition for me there, but, uh, thanks for the plug, John. Appreciate that. That, uh, yeah, I've, I, that is a little bit of my background. So thank you. Uh, Wow. Well, uh, <laughs> on that note, let's uh, let's talk about some some Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, I, we're going to talk a little bit about some updates. This may be a little bit of an abbreviated episode. Before we get to it, I know we've teased this before. There is a little bit of an announcement. We did talk to Ken Anderson, and he did. Uh, he, he's he's had a lot going on, both with his foundation, which we are uh, ho- excited to hear about, and. Um, we uh with his foundation and some personal things he has going on but he has uh, we reached back out to him and he has agreed to come on the show next Wednesday evening at a special time of 7:30 Eastern so we're crossing our fingers that uh it's going to work um we believe it is uh but so we have Ken Anderson on, on the books next week um, so we have a big show there and we're looking forward to having him on talking all things Bengals with Ken Anderson. So John, that should be a fun one. Not that this one won't, but
2: <laughs> the old man has is, is slipped through our fingers before, but this time we will try to corral him.
1: Right. So, right. Hopefully. Exactly. Exactly. That'll be a fun one though. And, uh, yeah. So one thing I want to say before we kind of get into some news and notes, if, if you know, when, when Ken Anderson comes on, if you've made a donation to his foundation or you, you know, whether it's from hearing about the Ken Anderson Alliance right now for the very first time, or you've heard about it in the past or whatever, if you've made a donation, let us know. We kind of want to, I, I think John, it would be kind of a cool idea if we can make some sort of tally of our listeners and maybe our, our own donations and kind of say, hey, look, Mr. Anderson, on behalf of this show, our listeners and ourselves, you know, we we're, we're, we've, donated this to your to your alliance or if we can make some sort of initiative really show that um you know i i don't know i think that'd be kind of a cool thing and if some if some of you have already donated uh maybe let us know and we can let ken anderson know i don't know just a thought off the top of my head if you if you think that's a good idea john or or if you have a better one <laughs> are, you, are you suggesting a podcast-a-thon maybe you,
2: where we maybe. see a live donation tracker while we are talking
1: yeah we could do I that i don't know
2: yeah, I don't. I don't know the coding that would get that tracker well, up there, but I'm definitely not
1: smart enough. But if we, somebody we to outsource that. Yeah, if uh, if if there is somebody that um, can do that for us, that'd be awesome. But I, I don't know. I just kind of want to, you know, these guys that are coming on to our show, they're they're doing us a favor and doing our listeners a favor by coming on and you know sharing some of their Bengal stories. And we've had a lot of good guys, and and most of these guys run a foundation and. Um, I do know that our listeners have donated. I know John and I have donated to quite a few of them as well. So, you know, if we can kind of say, "Hey, you know, thanks for coming on," we we've been kind of rallying, uh, doing a rally cry for your Fear your Foundation. I'd, I'd I'd like to do that personally, but um, I guess we can see what that looks like. But nevertheless, we have Ken Anderson planning to join us next week on next Wednesday night show, seven thirty Eastern. Uh, John, let's talk some Cincinnati Bengals. They're kind of doing workouts, kind of returning, and it's real nebulous type of thing. But there is some news in terms of what's what things have been looking at like. And I, I guess we can start with the head coach, work to the quarterback, and then maybe some other young players that are under the microscope a bit. Zach Taylor has instituted kind of an interesting – uh, initiative in terms of trying to build team camaraderie um there he's kind of he and other coaches I think have handpicked groups of players almost kind of pick little teams and having these guys specifically work together I think it's a really unique thing particularly with everything that's going on the way the coaching staff uh, staffs across the league have had to navigate things because of the COVID crisis uh, how effective do you think this is? Is this just kind of one of those cutesy things that, oh, it looks, looks nice on paper and we'll see how effective it is? Or do you think that this is just kind of a really innovative practice from a younger coach and one of the reasons that was able to, he was able to sell himself for this job when he interviewed for it last year?
2: Here's, here's the thing. This offseason, everybody is on a different level playing field than we have seen in the history of the NFL and, and all the offseasons. Yeah, we've seen in the past, like, you know, guys are communicating better than ever. They're in better shape. They're doing all this other stuff. Then it comes to training camp a preseason and it all looks the same. Um, but every team is going through this exact situation, but it's not a uniform approach. Every team has the opportunity to do something different with how they want to do this virtual offseason, how they've done this virtual offseason for the better part of two or three months now. I think there's, a possible potential advantage at the start for having a guy in Zach Taylor who relates more with his players, who's obviously on the younger side, but is more intuitive with this type of approach that can better connect with his players and get his players better connected with each other. In times where it's in a virtual setting, where normally you would have actual in-person meetings and practices by this point, uh, by by the you know there are plenty of them at this point, but they haven't had that opportunity. Now every team has the chance to do what the Bengals are doing. It's just a matter of if they're being as effective at that. Because in normal times, you just have set practice dates. You have OTAs. You have mini camps. You have all this stuff. You're able to meet in person. And then it comes down to, okay, who's the best at, at instituting that? Who's who's more effective at getting more accomplished in that setting? Now it's it's a setting that no one is accustomed to. Everybody's learning on the fly. And it's all about who can adapt the most, who can adapt the best at the end of the day, this is still a lot of buzz talk that we don't know is tangibly good or not. it, It just sounds good because, you know, it's, it's different and we're just not accustomed to hearing this type of stuff. But I think there is some sense of an innate advantage for a guy like Zach Taylor, who you would assume relates more with his players and is more adaptable in his coaching style and in his, in his management style because he's new on the job and he's young in that sense. Whereas, if this was still Marvin Lewis leaving the team, God knows how those Zoom meetings would have gone. I know our own Patrick Judas <laughs> like tweeted out a couple yeah. of days ago. Can you imagine like a, a Zoom team meeting with Marvin Lewis at the head? Like the it, five guys would be on mute. You know, he would log off or uh, by accident his internet would die out. He would spill coffee on himself. I, I don't know wh- how that would have gone, but I'm glad it's it's more of a it's more of a guy in uh, the next generation handling this, this sort of stuff.
0: Yeah, it, it's a
1: sign of the times in terms of. What this group is trying to institute, and it also, to me, John, it also kind of shows because I think what they're doing. Uh, I'm trying to pull up some some extra details on specifics on you know kind of what this looks like, but they are also kind of laying the responsibility of these guys getting the proper work in on these players. Um, and, and to me, you know, this is a very young team based on you know, the, big, the big draft class in terms of, of quantity of players last last year. And then you know, you've got a big group coming in this year of which the team is heavily relying on many, many of those players right away. Um, and you know, it's, it's a shift of Zach Taylor trying to make the team in his image. So you know, uh, to me, I think this also shows trust from the coaching staff in the maturity level of the players on this team, even though it is a young roster.
2: And it's, and it's no younger than at the quarterback position. And I'm looking at right. the Sports Illustrated report, basically um, illustrating how Taylor has, has had to maneuver through this and get his quarterback, you know, get his quarterbacks, including Joe Burrow, the, the, the amount of proper reps and to get some type of cohesion and communication with his offensive line. And he's saying how they're going through quote 20 play cut ups, creating a script off that cut up initially, just calling plays out, and then having the center, you know, make the initial call based off some type of a pre-snap look. And then you have Joe Burrow in his basement in Athens, Ohio, like standing up and screaming out the cadence, said hut. Blue 80 said hut. And then yeah, <laughs> like and Taylor goes on to say if you had a veteran quarterback like if, if this is Andy Dahl and you wouldn't need the audible you know factor or dimension in, in that type of setting but because I don't think Joe Burrow has ever met Trey Hopkins before in his life and that is a duo that has to be on the same page you know whenever they get back to training camp for preseason and they have to not be able to miss a beat or else that's just wasted reps and that's that's just time now dedicated to getting the basic fundamentals right this is all a part of getting up to speed to the point where they would have been if everything was at normal so yeah it, it's been an innovative i guess insight on how these things have gone and I, I think by all intents and purposes, it hasn't negatively affected at least the young guys in Burrow in general. And I think that is something that we can commend the coaches at for.
1: Yeah. And so, kind of building on that from uh, courtesy of Paul Danner Jr. of The Athletic and uh, our good buddy Chris Rolling over at Bengals Wire, um, you know, they're, there's talking about Burrow in the quarterback position. There was uh, news that came out on Wednesday afternoon that uh, Burrow's way ahead of where they expected him to be or where they're asking him to be in terms of grasping the playbook, in terms of, uh, you know, maturity and, you know, as they as they ask him concepts and, and diagnosing plays, it... Uh, he appears to be way ahead of schedule. It's a, there's a quote here from Daner Jr. via Bengals Wire. quote. Sometime, uh, and This is from Brian Callahan, the offensive coordinator of the Bengals. Uh, sometimes he would say things early on, and I'd say, we're not talking about that right now. Let's just get through what we need to get through here, and then we can revisit that later. We will probably answer that question you have in a day or two days or three days because we're not there yet. I know you are, but we're not. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I there's a little piece of that that's kind of concerning that everybody else is trying to play catch up with the quarterback, but with everything looking the way it is with this COVID crisis and the way the team has had to adapt and having a rookie quarterback, which for many teams, there is a high level of growing pains that goes with that. Maybe this is a little bit of coach speak or what have you, but this to me, It's not surprising, given Joe Burrow. This, to me, is just right up his wheelhouse. We know he's a cerebral guy. We know he has a a mind that is geared to diagnosing plays, and that plays into his accuracy. So it's not surprising, but pretty dang awesome to hear. Oh,
2: the coach speak never goes away. It doesn't matter if there's a pandemic. There's always going to be coach speak, regardless of what the actual activity is being presented upon. The the, the quote of Burrow being ahead of everybody – it, it, I it's the biggest grain of salt that I would take with that. It, I I don't know what they're putting on Burrow's plate. I would imagine they would have to put everything possible because he's the starting quarterback, but he's also a rookie. And as soon as the bullets start flying and he, and he's out there, we're gonna see you know the, the the fruits of whatever labor that they've been tasking him to do. We're gonna see if it's for real or not. So e- even with you know all these everything that's happening, he's still a rookie quarterback and he still has to go through the motions of actually playing football as a rookie quarterback. And you're going from this virtual setting to in-person, you know, practices and preseason games and all that all that sort of stuff. And the mistakes can't just be kind of shrugged off, and you can't just hide your camera on, on Zoom or whatever. You got to, you got to face them, and that that is when we will see if everything that is being said about Burrow is legitimate. But of course, based on his track record. It's, he, he can have the benefit of the doubt for this one because we've seen what he can actually do. We've seen him handle an, an inordinate amount of responsibility of taking over an offense and turning around in just a 12 month span. So that is, there is a president set for that. But again, this is the NFL and he's a rookie and whatever happens w- will happen and not because of the things that we hear in June.
1: Yeah. Uh, but, you know, Joe Burrow ahead of schedule. I think that's in, in terms of grasping what they're doing. And I think also playing into that, John, was the long, long time play. You may have mentioned it. The long, the long time plan of the team when they were going to draft this kid of we're going to implement things from LSU that you like and some of your favorite play. This has kind of been a, a trend that the team has done. And maybe that's I would say undoubtedly that has played into his level of being ahead of ahead of schedule or ahead of maybe where they thought they would be. but uh, very, very good to hear, especially with you know previous number one overall quarterbacks, pre- Carson Palmer, um, you know, talking to Keeley Smith and David Klingler, you know, guys like that where they've drafted. they've hung the franchise on those guys and um, you know the mental part of the game just was not there. so uh, good to good to hear that. From an injury standpoint, John, in terms of guys who had big injuries last year, obviously Jonah Williams is kind of the big, the big one there. But AJ Green and Rodney Anderson are two names that have been uh, circling about. Um, not too much to note in terms of of AJ Green. You said I think it was on last week's episode where uh, you, you, I think it was in your mic drop where you talked about AJ Green's Instagram and the way he was like pushing off his his uh, his foot and stuff. Yeah, um, that that was that was kind of interesting, but. It sounds like he's doing well, looks like he's doing well by all accounts. And uh, both he and Joe Burrow are hoping to kind of link up and do some uh, post-July 4th workouts. The other thing, though, uh, Rodney Anderson, and we've we talked about the running backs before in our, our positional preview series, which we will continue in just a few minutes here um, and start to wrap up on the program, the 9-for-9 Nine Nine positional preview series. We've talked about the running backs. We've talked about Rodney Anderson, but he appears to be ahead of schedule, John. He appears to be running kind of full speed and, and doing a lot of things um, ahead of schedule on that second ACL injury that he suffered, unfortunately, after a really nice preseason, uh, about a game and a half or so, um, you know, comes back and re-injures the same same knee, but looks to be ahead of schedule. Should we... Bank on him having you know any kind of tangible or large. I mean, Mixon's gonna get the lion's share of carries, but do you think Anderson has any kind of um avenue for a big impact? And it kind of plays a little bit also into one of these questions we heard we got on the live Facebook from Josh Whited or Witted. Uh, what do you think Geo's trade value is? I don't really want to get into that necessarily, but Does a Rodney Anderson potentially being ahead of schedule and showing off in training camp, maybe the preseason, prompt a trade of Geo?
2: I just did the thing where fans look at players getting injured and they expect them to be back by a certain amount of time. And I completely overestimate how a normal human would recover from such a devastating injury. You you claim or just saying that ronnie anderson not not you specifically but just anybody saying that ronnie anderson is ahead of schedule from tearing his acl for the second time in two years same one yeah yeah the same one 10 months after that he's now quote uh i'm back cutting running full speed yeah like like 10 months now in the nfl is is pretty standard for a return from an acl injury and that that that's just bonkers if you look at a, the history of Acl injuries but i guess you know, yeah. in the past 10 years obviously the the, the the medical advancements for rehabbing this injury and surgically repairing this injury has come miles ahead of ahead of time so it, it's i think right now he's where they should expect him to be and that's still just you know a five nine 170 pound man saying yeah you'll be fine to ten months after completely ripping up your knee but just in that preseason i think he got injured the last preseason game and I remember being very mad about it because he was still in the game and I wanted him to be out of the game by that point and he ended up tearing the same in tearing the same ACL but I I, I thought that he would have an impact last year because they were yeah suffering injuries at the running back position aside from Ronnie Anderson and they ended up having zero depth at that position at the beginning of the year but because he just looks so damn good. He looked like the same guy from Oklahoma. That was a guy that, that you don't normally get to draft in the sixth round, regardless of the of the devaluation of running backs in general. Now it's up to the point of how much are they willing to just force the ball down Mixon's throat? Because if they're willing to do the smart thing and distribute touches to the rest of the running back group, however many carries that Ronnie Anderson is going to get over the course of the season, he's going to make the absolute most of it because Aside from Mixon, he's the most talented running back that they have, and he's also a couple years younger than Mixon, and he's got a couple more years under on his contract longer than Mixon, depending on if they get that deal done. I don't think he's going to be a guy that saves your fantasy team, but if, if I'm the Bengals and I want to be smart about handling and maximizing the talents of this running back group, I'm giving Rodney Anderson like five carries a game at least because I know that those five carries are going to be effective – Regardless of the offensive line, I know he can catch out of the backfield. I know he can make guys miss the stuff that we saw in the preseason. Yeah, it's the preseason. You know, it's 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 going up against backups on defense, but that's natural talent. And if he's healthy, I I think that they should allow him to
1: utilize his talents. Agreed. Uh, here's here's what I find kind of interesting. Now, I don't I don't necessarily want the Bengals to trade Giovanni Bernard. I don't really see. The need. I mean, I guess unless you you're trying to free up some money, maybe to make a a Larry Warford type of move or something like that, which I think the Bengals have made it somewhat clear that they're not going to do that. Uh, but what I and and when we previewed the running back group, you know, I kind of gushed about. Geo's not only ability to run and catch, but also his ability to block, and that's a valuable asset, especially with so many offensive line issues. And the way that he blocks, the effectiveness level of his blocking comparative to his size is is pretty impressive. Um, the one thing I will note, you know, Geo wasn't a quote-unquote Zach Taylor guy, as we know. Um, and the guys, and, and neither was Mixon, really, but what they, what they have brought in our running backs in terms of Travion Williams and Rodney Anderson. They've brought in two backs in that group that are a bit more akin in terms of skill set to Mixon. They're the one cut guys. They're the zone guys. Um, they, they, you know, Rodney Anderson obviously played in that same Oklahoma offense that uh, Mixon did. They have Samaj P. Ryan and other Oklahoma guys, so they must... They obviously like something in that system. Trevion Williams is a little smaller, obviously, than than Mixon and Rodney Anderson, but still very similar in terms of their skill sets. So maybe if the Bengals are kind of like, well, you know, we can get some of these things out of these guys that we can get, that we feel we can get from Gio, and we feel that Rodney Anderson's going to be helpful, maybe that's where their rationale is of a potential move. I don't see it. I think they made, if I remember correctly, they made Gio a captain last year. Um, and and, you know, and I know that you can kind of scoff at that or whatever, but you know, um, I think they do value that kind of locker room leadership. So I don't expect a move. I don't know what you would get for a guy like Gio, but if there was a move to be made, I guess my thinking would be they brought in two guys last in last year's draft. They rebrought in P Ryan and those are guys that kind of fit the more patient zone blocking type of mold that they may want to run.
2: The dynamic of this group hasn't changed since last year. If you just look at just the basic size stats, Travion Williams is essentially a clone of Giovanni Bernard, and Rodney Anderson is essentially a clone of of Joe Mixon. If Mixon goes down, which is all for all and purposes, highly possible because he's a running back and he's going to get over 200 carries, the guy that you want taking those carries in those same type of scenarios and looks and situations is is Rodney Anderson. You're not going to have Travion Williams you know, take the bulk of of, of mixing uh, snaps. And right. I don't think anybody would, would assume that Bernard is capable of doing the same things as Joe Mixon. Whereas Rodney Anderson is built like that. He runs like that. And like you said, he comes from the same system in Oklahoma. He, he plays a similar style of football. And if the Bengals value Mixon that much, then presumably they would share some sense of value for Rodney Anderson. If, if that is the case, then Anderson is going to have immense value on, on this roster. He, he may not be acting I man to be activated all the all the time, but if something happens with Mixon, I would fully expect Rodney Anderson to be the guy stepping up, and I think that and it works because uh, at Sissy Jungle we are doing a top twenty five countdown of the twenty five best players on the Bengals roster. Rodney Anderson did not make that list. Spoiler alert! But I was the one person to vote for him because I think if you just take the entire eighty four man roster that the Bengals have right now, I don't think you could find twenty five players better than Rodney Anderson though.
1: In terms of yeah, I mean Pierce, when when the Bengals brought when they drafted Rodney Anderson last year in the the sixth round, I believe it was, there was talk that if he had not gotten hurt and if he you know the the skill set level there was a late day one probably early day two type of type of pick uh, in terms of the overall talent level. It's the injuries. It's you know obviously his his coming back and the ability of him trying potentially trying to contribute right away. And unfortunately it just didn't happen for him. i He's become one of those stories that you hope, you know, you're just like, now you just root for him because he's just had to overcome so much. Um, but yeah, you're right, John. I mean, the talent level is there for sure. For sure.
2: Yeah. Frank, Rand- Frank Randolph in the, in the Facebook chat is asking if Gio gets hurt, does Williams take a spot? I think that also makes a lot of sense. I think, Right now, Williams is more of a reliable pass protector, just from what we saw in college, than uh, uh, Ronnie Anderson himself. And again, I think there's similar athletes that do similar things. Williams didn't have the greatest year last year. He didn't – I don't think he took a single snap on offense that wasn't a part of the the QB Neal. But I I do think he had some special team snaps. And during training camp, when they had Mixon and Bernard injured, I think he was the guy taking the the first team snaps because they were still moving Anderson along. So – he still has value there. They still like him. I think they still like his skill set and the skill set mirrors a lot of Bernard. So those four running backs stay healthy, they're going to make the roster and I think their roles are pretty much set based off what they should have been last year but unfortunately injuries got in the way.
1: Yep. Yeah. yeah, but uh as it as kind of is this time of year. There's a lot of kind of roses and sunshine in terms of reports and guys coming back and got Everybody looks good this time of year, right? Everybody's healthy. Everybody looks good. Everybody's ahead. Everybody of looks great on their on their Zoom <laughs> chats right now, you know. Yeah, right. Right. Um, so we'll have more to talk about undoubtedly in the in the next few weeks and um, when when training camp does open. And obviously with the, with Major League Baseball coming to an agreement. Um, with, with their season, whatever that's going to look like, you know, you would, you would think potentially that some of these other sporting leagues would, would follow suit. So, um, you know, you'd think training camp and et cetera, would be, um, coming down the pike here in a, how normal of a fashion, we don't know, but, um, you know, we'll we'll get to see more of on-field work from these guys going forward.
0: Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini-series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI,
1: a soundbite of the week we're still going to kind of do that we're going to wait till the end of the show to do that um but we we were going to do that but we're going to we're going to do that a little bit towards the end um and we're going to we're going to move to the positional preview the nine for nine that john's been spearheading we'll get there in just a second but just a reminder to get this show on your favorite audio platform itunes stitcher spotify google play megaphone iheartradio um, if you like the video, you can find it on YouTube or Cincy jungle's uh, Facebook page. Want to remind, I, I did get some questions from some people, John, um, you know, through different audio platforms. How do you find it? You know, so if you listen to our show specifically, thank you. Um, there are other shows on the Cincy jungle podcast channel, orange is the new black with ACE and Zim. You've got, sorry if I spit when I speak, by the way, um, some pretty cool episodes by daddy O McDuke, uh, Hoji Smoji and uh, the guy the guy next to me here, John Sheeran. Um, some good interviews they've put out over the last couple of days. And then of course, uh, there's Matt Minnick's Chalk Talk episodes. But it, in the audio, sometimes in the audio channel, if, if you're looking for um, the Orange and Black Insider, results won't come up. You have to look at Cincy Jungle or Cincy Jungle's podcast because it's that's kind of the channel. And then you'll find our episodes among those others as well. We're all kind of slated together. So if you have some trouble looking us up if you're specifically looking for our show. Sometimes it shows up. It just kind of depends on the platform. Other times it's going to show up as Cincy Jungles podcast. So keep that in mind, but download the show how you can. We appreciate the support. We appreciate you guys tuning in live. We've got a lot of live uh live viewers right now, even though like I said, it's a little bit of a slower time in the off season. Um but we appreciate all the support and we're stoked that you guys are still hanging in there and tuning in and listening to us. It's hard for me to believe that we are in
2: week eight of our nine for nine series, which means this is the second to last one, unless we still want to do special teams at the very end. I <laughs> guess we could, okay. but um, it's, it's good that we save this position for week eight. Eight is my favorite number. And I do believe that the quarterback yeah. position, yeah, eight's my favorite number. Hmm. And I do believe that if the cornerback position is going to have the most ruthless, and toughest and closest competition for the, at the bottom of the roster whenever training camp comes. I'm I'm pretty excited about the depth and the talent level of this group. It kind of mirrors I guess wide receiver to that extent, but just for the sake of something new, cornerback was pretty well overhauled this offseason with the departures of Drake Patrick, Dark West Denard, who is still both of them are still unemployed, by the way. And Tony McRae, who's now with the Lions. Those three were replaced, respectively, with Trey Waynes, Mackenzie Alexander, and LaShawn Sims. Aside from that, Tori McTire was added back, as was Greg Mabin, as unrestricted free agents signing vet minimum one-year deals. Winston Rose was added, I think, during the, the last week of the 2019 season. The guy from CF, CFL who had like eight interceptions last year. Mm -hmm. uh tony brown who once played for the packers last year he was added as well before the bulk of the offseason nobody no one at the position was drafted but they did bring in isaiah swan at um out of dartmouth after the draft as a college region but that leaves as incumbent players william jackson the third and darius darius phillips yeah so william jackson's Going to be the only guy who was on this team last year to start at the, at the position. You would presumably have Trey Wayne's starting on the opposite side of him, and McKenzie Alexander taking that starting slot, starting slot position that he was really affected with with the Minnesota Vikings. My biggest question when I look at this is where does Darius Phillips fall into this? Because I think when Kirkpatrick was, when when we thought he was going to be on the way out, and when there's rumblings of you know if if he was going to get released even even before. The signing of Trey Waynes. I think a lot of us assume that Darius Phillips would essentially take a starting spot, whether that be on the outside or be in the slot before Mackenzie Alexander w- was signed and Dark Westonard had a deal in writing with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Well, now Phillips is basically in the same spot th- that he is last year, where he's like fourth on the, on the depth chart. He can fill in at either of those spots, but he's not in a position to play significant snaps unless some injuries happen. And from what we saw last year, injuries can absolutely derail this group and Phillips can get a shot. And whenever Phillips has seen the field, he's been a plus player. He's, you know, you don't get four interceptions and only 108 snaps, you know, b- by pure luck that that's just being in the right position. That's just knowing your, your assignments as being in the right zones is having good coverage ability and having the best, probably the best ball skills in the entire team. So, my, big, yeah, my biggest question is, what really is Phillips' immediate future with, with this group? Is he just a, a super sub that comes in a, as a, in a rotation, or is does he have a legitimate chance of being now Alexander for that starting slot position?
1: That's an interesting question because I think you, you know me and how I've been critical of the Bengals lack of outside forays and free agency, obviously not counting this off season because it was, you know, a complete anomaly in that regard. But what I mean is in years past, they would have tried to shed the Drake Kirkpatrick contract. And then they would have hyped up Darius Phillips and promoted him and kind of sink or swim is usually how this would have, would have gone. I think uh, I, but they went out, they got a Dre replacement and Trey Wayne's, We've talked about how that's maybe a marginal upgrade there. Um, we, you know, Mackenzie Alexander, that's probably a a marginal to pretty, pretty good upgrade over Darquez Denard simply because of, of health. Denard's effective, but he's just not healthy. Um, so, you know, I, I think to answer your question, I think the super sub uh, designation that you put out, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I do think that. Cincinnati will try and utilize both Phillips and Brandon Wilson on special teams. And that's maybe why you see Phillips a little lower on the on the depth chart. Maybe you save them for, for injury purposes or potential injury purposes. I know I'm not necessarily a fan of that because I'm kind of like, if you have a good player and they have a specific skill set that helps you out, you can't be afraid to play them. You have to use them to their respective (laughs) strengths because that's how it helps your team win games. So, so I'm not really into, Hey, save guys because they're on special teams or what have you. I, I do think there is still probably some, some elements of him being a raw player too. You know, I think he's got, he has shown from college and into the pros that he has a nose for the football. He can create plays. He can get into the end zone um but he is he is a little bit of a gambler we've seen that too and uh he's still a young player not a lot of experience so I think on in one hand the Bengals uh, we I think a lot of us would have liked to have seen them say here you go Darius sink or swim but I think a lot of us also are relieved that they didn't you know uh they still kind of got the uh the the training floaties on the arms so to speak uh before he dives into the deep end and I I like what you mentioned too, John, about depth. This this position group is very talented. There are a lot of high picks. That's how this team really likes to load that position group. There are a lot of former high round picks in in there. And unfortunately, a lot of those guys got injured and it showed late middle in late in the year. And now they've got a lot of depth four guys deep.
2: And as much as we can hype up Phillips, I think it's worth mentioning that um, in the first 16 weeks, he only played five games and was essentially a rotational player at that who came in at opportune times due to injury. But he didn't start the game on the field. Week 17 against the Browns was the first game I think he started in his entire career. And that the week before, he had a 95.1 coverage grade against the Dolphins. Against the Browns, he ended up having a 41.4 coverage grade. He had two interceptions that game. One almost returned for a pick six, but he also gave up two touchdowns that game. And that's kind of the nature of the cornerback position. And we got on Drake or Patrick for giving up a lot of big plays, even though for the most part he was pretty stable and consistent from a coverage standpoint. But yeah, that that is the nature of the position, and that's kind of what guys like Darius Phillips kind of have to go through, at least in, in the early portions of their career. Or they'll have you know great eye opening highlight plays but also it, once you you are a starter and you're going up against a guy like Odell Beckham Jr for for the Browns you're going to see nine balls come your way again, game which is what he what he saw in this game and you're going to allow five receptions and he allowed 145 yards in coverage in that game and nice. the two of them ended up for, for being touchdowns so i think that was those those are the only positive plays for the Browns the whole, the whole game but the two interceptions help kind of it kind of nets out so maybe Coaching staff saw that at the very end of the season, they're thinking, okay, this guy's just a little bit too inconsistent for us to thrust him into the starting spot. We need to get a, an established guy in Wayne's to replace Kirkpatrick if that's if that is indeed the direction that, that they want to go. But at, at this point, if Phillips has to start again, I don't think we can expect one interception every twenty five snaps like he did last <laughs> year. But right. I, I think I think that is an element that that still has value: the, the fact of finding the ball. And being able, being able to pull to it in and to, to make a play on it to get your hands up in there. Because, you know, William Jackson and in going into year five now of, of his career, we, we saw one really good year. And then two years following that, that was filled with injuries and just overall inconsistencies and just get, getting him to find his footy. And he needs to be the best cornerback of this group now. Because at this point, I don't know how much more you can expect Trey Waynes to develop as a player, even though he, he is entering a new setting. But for, from, from the standpoint of what, what he was in Minnesota, it's not like he's going to be this whole other player. With with Jackson, at least, he's not a true fifth-year player. This is only his fourth-year playing, and he's had to go through multiple defense coordinators and secondary coaches as well. But him being in a contract year makes him the most – it puts a lot of focus on him to, to perform and produce. And I think we've established at this point that he's just not going to get a contract before the season. He's going to play in a contract year, and that could bode extremely well for the Bengals, but it could also take – him out of the price range of of what they want. So if Jackson leaves in a year's time, I guess Phillips ends up being that in-house replacement, unless they want to do what they did this year. And and let's go spend big at at the position again.
1: Yeah. Uh, Is this in your opinion, do you think this is like the most talented position group on the team from top to bottom? Or would you look at wide receiver? Would you look at defensive end? I mean, uh, to me, this has to be up there uh, because of the slew of high picks, but the thing that that worries me, John, is you know I, we kind of all had high hopes for William Jackson. He, we've seen flashes of it, and then we've seen flashes of pretty good play, and then we've seen injuries. Uh, Trey Wayne's he's been a bit of a roller coaster in his career. Mackenzie Alexander's been pretty solid as a slot guy. We talked about Phillips. I mean, I, I just feel like there's a lot of talent there overall. Would you say that this is the most talented position group uh, on the roster, or or one of, or Where 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 are they in the pecking order?
2: I mean, that's why I am excited to see how this position unfolds in training camp, because there is a, a crap ton of talent. And it's hard to say which of the, you know, which six or seven, to be exact, is going to end up making. I think you're confident, obviously, in starters and then Phillips making the team beyond that. It could be a combination of McTire and Mabin like last year. It could be the new guys and LaShawn Sims and Winston Rose taking the spots. Tony Brown at least has the most experience from all these other backups aside from Greg Mabin. It's a matter of how much special teams takes into account for these roles that are going that are going to be distributed and going to be given at the beginning of the season. Do they want an extra guy in Winston Rose that can that has produced in terms of interceptions and plays on the ball that no other no other player besides Darius Phillips has in his resume, or that they want to go youth. That they want to just take the guy in in Isaiah Swan, the guy who was also massively productive, at least on, on the small school scale at, at Dartmouth. I think he finished with like 19 career interceptions there. Um but yeah, I think Sims was signed, Sean Sims was signed to replace Tony McRae as the special teamer that Will, will be active on game days and be on kickoff teams or what and whatnot. Maybe that's your fifth. And then the sixth is literally, it. it, it I, I have no idea. I have no idea who is in line to win that spot. If they even keep six or seven, I, I if you ask me right now, who's going to make that entire position group, I wouldn't be able to give you a confident answer because all these guys are very talented. They're very young and they're very close in terms of just the qualities that they bring and, and, and what really separates them from each other. So I'm really excited to see how this ends up going or how many they keep and what are the final two guys that they are going to keep.
1: The So Robert Obrecht, uh, how's it going, Robert? He's always tuning in and paying us compliments. Good to see him in the live Facebook chat. I, I'm going to take a little bit of – he asked us a question, but I'm going to take it and turn it a little bit into something we discussed last week when we were talking about the safeties. John, if you remember, we talked about uh, the question, Robert – uh, asked was could you guys you know see some of these guys playing safety in dime sets I, I i don't know if you looked further at some of those names because remember last week we talked about how some of these guys might be able if they show swing versatility right um and, and that's how they latch on to roster spots or if the coaches are able to if if luana Anarumo is able to come up with diverse schemes to be able to get more of these guys on the field at the same time to play to to this to let the defense play to the strength of that respective position group I don't know if you've done any more kind of research or insight on some of these guys but um was there anything just kind of a week later now that you wanted to add potentially on some of these guys being swing guys maybe Phillips being I don't know one of those guys that you can kind of move around or anything well, I don't know. I I'm not sure I would want any of these guys to play safety. I think right. took
2: technically some strong safety snaps last year. Um, when they added like all these cornerbacks, and this was before they drafted three linebackers, I'm thinking, are they just gonna be a dime defense? Are they just gonna have four cornerbacks on the field at all times? Because last season, when they had to adjust to the fact that their linebackers were just god awful going into week one and they just had nobody at the position, that's why we saw that new defensive front. That's why they saw five defensive linemen and almost nickel 100% of the time to get as, as many linebackers off the field as possible to, to only put one or two out there at most. Now you have three safeties that you're confident in playing significant snaps. You have Von Bell who can essentially be a traditional linebacker and you have four cornerbacks that you're comfortable seeing the field. One of them you want to see a little bit more of in Darius Phillips Four four cornerbacks, three safeties that's seven Four defensive linemen. Yeah, there you go. Um, so I mean, you can go dime like that and just take the linebackers off the field. If they're just not ready to play, if those young guys are not ready to play and you don't want to expose Josh Bynes in, in space as much, if you just want to keep them for more of a, of a base personnel, but they have bodies there that can mitigate some weaknesses. Ultimately, you're going to expect Alexander and, and Phillips to be style run defenders because they're essentially force players at, at that point, And they're going to have no support over the middle and you need your edges to obviously step up and h- handle some uh, um, setting the edge responsibilities as well. But they have a ton of options at cornerback. I don't know if those options translate into them also playing safety, because I think you're at this point, you're pretty comfortable in the bodies that that you have at safety
1: as well. The, the other element that I think is pretty interesting about this group and the initiative that they pushed, um, with, with the cornerbacks in terms of the acquisitions. And by the way, this is the orange and black insider and we're doing our nine for nine positional preview series, talking about cornerbacks as we get close to wrapping this up. Um, you know, where Trey Waynes and Mackenzie Alexander really excel. And that's why they also brought in Vaughn Bell at safety, tackling, tackling, okay. getting guys down on the ground, you know, not letting those short plays in front of them get past the sticks, not letting plays on third down become first downs. Even if a play, if a pass is completed those guys have a knack of getting be, getting a guy down on the ground right away and, and limiting damage. And this team in this really bad stretch of 2018 and 2019 has been pretty atrocious at getting off the field on third down. A lot of that has to do with the linebacker play. Uh, some of it has to do with the cornerback play, just not getting off the field. And I think that's, You know, we can talk about Phillips maybe making a leap and making those big plays, those pick sixes, upping the interception total. All that's great. But getting off the field sometimes and forcing a punt can be kind of like a turnover.
2: Absolutely. And I think you have cited Trey Waynes' coverage ability on third down being an asset as well, at least in recent years. And that that just pumps into the equation. They saw a weakness in their third down defense, and it's just in their – tackling in general it, it's a weakness that if if you are incompetent here and you don't have an offense to carry you it's going to just demolish you in the long run so they right. have bodies here that they can roll out multiple formations and personnel groupings and be com- and be competent in terms of just getting off the field and no matter how deep that you are is even at this position injuries are going to affect you because you're just not going to be confident in the guys in the bottom of the depth chart taking over starting snaps but this is, I think, the first time that I'm looking at this group and thinking, if you know, even when everyone's healthy, this is, this is a top-tier position group, um, it, at least in the division, maybe the entire conference, maybe even the entire league. You're not expecting much out of Waynes to be more than what he was in Minnesota. But you have William Jackson in that contract year playing his butt off. You have Alexander and Phillips rotating in the slot both guys that are, are going to be stout run defenders in those important positions. And you have a lot of young and exciting talent to round up the group. It doesn't really matter. I think how they finalize this position group, they can go seven. And it would be fine because it's still a strength. I think they're going to be fine here. And, and it's something that I can't say for
1: at least most of the roster. Uh, it's to me, really it's injuries, right? I mean, if, if they can stay healthy here, I think they've got the talent. And I think, They've got guys that can create turnovers and they made the moves that they needed to make in terms, you know, like I said, even if it's a marginal upgrade over Dre Kirkpatrick, um, you got younger and faster and, and potentially better, like you said, on third downs uh, in passing situations with Trey Waynes. Mackenzie Alexander brings that kind of similar skill set. And, um, you know, uh, if, if, God forbid, one of those guys go down. Um, you know, there are some talented guys waiting in the wings. So I, too, am excited about this position group. Before we before we wrap up, John, what do you think the future holds for William Jackson in terms of long-term with the team? It, it's not – I'm not
2: at the lack of confidence that I am with John Ross returning, but it's somewhere in that ballpark. I, hmm. I see if Jackson stays healthy – Just the corner market in general is is, is ballooning, like most positions, and teams still recognize that as one of the most valuable positions in the NFL. Rightfully so. It is one of the most valuable positions. I understand why the team wouldn't want to sign him this offseason because of the inconsistencies, because of the injuries. But if he does stay healthy, I think he is going to be very good in this defense. And and very likely play himself out of a contract with Cincinnati. I like to think that they're prepared for that, but also think it's going to be one of the reasons why cornerback is going to be addressed very highly in next year's draft because they they didn't address it um, in 2019 and they didn't, they didn't address it this year. So it just naturally it's going to be a position that they have to readdress because they just need to, another influx of competent young talent there but I do expect good things for the William Jackson. It's just I, how good that is depend is going to be dependent upon, or it's going to majorly impact his, his future with the team. They could franchise tag him. I, I guess that's an option as well, but paying Wayne's th- that amount of money this year, it, it just, it just kind of seems unlikely if he stays healthy and produces at least at a moderate level that he'll be back with them next
1: year. Hard to disagree with you there. And, the other, you know, the other thing that's kind of forgotten about it, we've talked about him a lot, but Alexander's on a one-year deal also. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that that to me was was kind of interesting that they signed him to a one-year deal because he's a, he's a young guy and uh, you would think that if you're going to move on from Denard, you would want to lock up a guy um, beyond this year, but yeah, both those guys kind of playing in contract years are, are very interesting, but that has been our nine for nine positional preview series with the cornerbacks. We've got tight ends left. I believe John, right.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, a little bit of a different talent level disparity than the group. We're talking about. <laughs> than we've been talking about tonight and uh, uh, we'll, we'll probably do special teams. Um, so we can do that. But uh, thanks again, John for uh, spearheading that. And yeah, um, you know, very good. I very good idea on your part, and it's been fun breaking down things. And obviously, we're going to see how everything plays out during training camp in the regular season. We're going to get on out of here uh, and drop the mic. John, do you want to go first? And if so, I can uh, cue you up, or I can go first. Up to you, my friend. How about you go first? Okay, uh, I I will still cue you up regardless. If you would like, uh, I you know I don't have too much. Um, I just. Uh, I want to just remind folks listening that we will have Ken Anderson, hopefully fingers crossed on next week at seven 30 Eastern. We're going to start a little earlier to have him on and we're excited to talk to him. So just if you, if you joined us late or you're uh, you just somehow forgot, uh, we will be having Ken Anderson on as of now for next Wednesday at seven 30. Uh, there is, I'm going to put a link in the live chat, um, our good buddy, Jason Von Stein emailed, I believe both of us, or maybe just me, John, uh, it was kind of earlier today. Oh, I got that too. Yeah. So the, he's kind of got a cool event coming up. I think there's a Facebook page on it. So, um, it's kind of, I, I think it was like concerts and comedy or, uh, um, yeah, mi- a music and comedy online show that he's hosting. Um, So he's been a good supporter of this program and a good guy. So we'll, we'll pop that link in here so you can check that out. But if you, if you get a, get a chance, check that out. And I uh, just want to shoot out a, a broad thank you to a lot of different people. Um, You probably noticed, or a lot of you that follow me on Twitter noticed that I kind of put out a little bit of a, um, I don't know what you would call it, an SOS type of tweet or, you know, just kind of needed some, some uplifting. And, um, you know, unfortunately some of the things we had been hoping for have not really come to fruition, still kind of working through some things, but um, the support, first of all, I want to publicly thank you, John, you behind the scenes have consistently been like, Hey dude, you okay. And what's you know, you all right. And um, so I, you know, I very much appreciate you, specifically john um i i just i've gotten a lot a couple of emails from listeners and people who read cincy jungle and a lot of people responded on twitter and uh with a lot of the the ugliness going on uh in a lot of different phases in the world it's it's really good to see a good side of of humanity and you know i i I like to say, John, that, um, you know, I like to think, as weird as it may sound, that this show and even writing on Cincy Jungle is kind of like a little hangout, a happy hour of a lot of different people. And we bring in people that ask us questions and make comments in the live chats and stuff. And, uh, you know, I kind of like to think it is like a little hangout, even though we've never really met in person, you and I or a lot of these other people we haven't met. I kind of feel like we know uh, each other. And um, just, I, I just am appreciative of, of you, John, and of the listeners and, and other readers of Cincy Jungle who've reached out and kind of voiced some support. Um, very, very cool, and uh, helps during some times that aren't so great. And um, so, I just, I just kind of wanted to say a thank you there,
2: Anthony. You're my brother, and I would always, always be there for you in, in, in your time of need. Um, I appreciate. Unfortunately,
1: that. unfortunately, these
2: these are rough times, and there's not a lot of good news to talk about. And we on this show like to keep things as positive as possible. But sometimes I, I, I look at what's happening even with this own team. Like there's just not a lot of, we've exhausted about as much positive news from the team as we could. But when I see things that happen or get reported on earlier this week, and even something that transpired this afternoon, I, I can't turn a blind eye when you know I talk about this team every, every week, A couple years ago, George Aloka was released by the Cincinnati Bengals in the preseason of 2018. It was a release that was shocking to basically everybody who followed the Bengals because he had three years left on his contract. He was the presumed starter going into that season. Even when they drafted Jesse Bates, you know, he was still the starter in preseason and that was at a time where Bates wasn't exactly looking great as a rookie contributor in preseason. It was a shocking release, but You know, it it made sense for the fact that they want to have Bates start and and whatnot. But even at that point, we kind of knew that Iloka was very outspoken and he wasn't afraid to just say what he believed. And unfortunately, those beliefs very apparently clashed with that of Bengals owner Mike Brown. At least Jesse reported earlier this week of WLWT that in an interview with Iloka, Iloka essentially stated that he, among other members of the 2017 Bengals team, were were wanting to kneel during the national anthem as a sign of a peaceful protest, and there was a team meeting that essentially snuffed out Iloka and his teammates' request to do so. And that player that player meeting sparked an emergency meeting, which Mike Brown was a part of. And according to Iloka and, and, and Jesse, Mike Brown was very emotional in saying, "Please do not kneel. Please do not do this. Uh, we do." I do not want to deal with the backlash of the fan base. I don't want to deal with you guys getting crushed like that. Please do not kneel. And there was also a report that Preston Brown believed that if he had kneeled, had knelt during that season, he would have not have signed with the Bengals because he and Cordy Glenn, who both came from Buffalo that off season, were basically told in the off season, um, we do not kneel here in Cincinnati. We don't want that type of attention. We do not support that type of protest. All that stuff came out. And then, Today, Bobby Hart posted on his Instagram story, I think nine out earlier this morning, essentially supporting quote, "Stop promoting homosexuality to our children." This was not the first time that Bobby Hart had said something so outlandishly stupid and hateful. Um, he actually did something about the about this original pandemic when it when it first came out. So this is not a nice is, an isolated event. This is not an is, isolated incident. This is a track record of somebody who is spreading hateful speech and stuff that I don't think fits well with the locker room and the type of culture that Zach Taylor should be wanting to establish. And I, don't, I'm, I wasn't really sure how to angle this all, but I think I'm, I'm coming to a head here. If Iloka was released in part because of his views that were clashing with Mike Brown, what does that exactly say about Bobby Hart basically spreading this hateful rhetoric and having nothing happen to him? What type of culture are the Bengals willing and trying to establish in that locker room where a guy like Iloka just wants to, along with his other teammates, just speak his mind in terms of something that is uplifting and supportive, whereas another starter gets to just spout hateful speech and have nothing happen to him? The, the, I mean, Iloka was gone and released because at the end of the day, he was expendable and his views ultimately didn't align with the owner itself. And I don't know if that is the same case with Bobby Hart, but Bobby Hart's also expendable. I I, I question the potential hypocrisy here. I question the general direction. I definitely question the lack of response from other teammates and, and, and the team as well, even though I guess I just don't really expect a response from the team. But I, I, I don't my, my thoughts are just going in all different directions about this. And I just wonder really what is okay and what's not okay with that locker room and the type of culture that they're trying to set.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I, well said there. Uh, the I can play this clip if you would like, John, from Georgia Loca, sure. uh, from Elise Jesse, and I will play that in just a second, just to kind of, in case people don't know what you're referencing. Um, you know, I I don't have much more to piggyback off of that because you know there there are a lot of things where you know uh, that that you said there that makes you think and. The, the, the one thing about the Bobby Hart thing that, that came to mind about that, um, was, and I don't, I don't want to take it there, but Jim Turner, right. Uh, his, his position coach, um, there was some elements of bullying and name calling in his past to certain players that he has coached. And, um, you know, like you said, where, where's the standard, right? Um, So I I don't want to go too much farther into that beyond that, but that's something that when I, when I saw that Bobby Hart had put this on, on Instagram um, and and saying what you said, I, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of, my mind went there a little bit, you know, unfortunately, uh, if you're okay with that John I'm gonna I'm gonna play this clip good uh, hopefully we can hear it and uh, so people know kind of what you're referencing here so uh, here is of course we know Elise Jesse by the way Elise Jesse just made an appearance on sorry if I spit when I speak with Daddyo and Hoji uh, talking about this incident and that is on Cincy Jungle's podcast channel as well but here is her interview with Loka, kind of talking briefly about this incident that John referenced. And when kneeling, for sure, made that uh, a point of emphasis. Um, just things along that
2: lines. You guys stay out of it. Just pretty much, don't kneel. That's the message. And he just
1: tries to walk out. And and I remember, like, and he said what he said and he tried to walk out. Probably all under, all probably all under three minutes. And I remember, like, like my heart was beating because was obviously the owner. And you know what? You already saw what happened to uh, Kaepernick. So people can deny it all in one You You saw what happened in Cabernet. So I remember, like, my heart is being like, boom, 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 boom. So like, man, now I got to say what I got to say. Because he
2: didn't really, like, he didn't let anybody speak. He just said what he said and tried to walk out. And I said, but Mike. So he had to come back around. And, yeah, I just started telling him how I felt and why this is important to us and um, what it means to us and why we feel like we want to kneel and this and this and that. And um, he wasn't trying to hear it.
1: So that is a little bit, hopefully you could hear that. That is uh, the audio quality on that um, clip is a little low, but hopefully you could hear that. And obviously that's just kind of a reference of what John was, was talking about there. So um,
2: essentially, I just want to make this like, I wanted to clarify the point, like Jesse learned by talking to multiple players that if those players had knelt in, in spite of, of Brown's request, then they believe that their money would have quote unquote been messed with and that they would have been given fair offers in free to see the next year. So if that is the type of rhetoric or protest or any type of any type of viewpoint that will negatively affect your employment opportunity, I want to see the same standard applied for what Bobby Hart said. I, I want to see where this hypocrisy lies. I want to see where the values lie and I want to be the one to say it and I, I I'm not trusting them to go like the answer.
1: Well said. That's gonna do it for us this week. I think John, thank you for your contributions to this show and your kind words to me, as I mentioned. Um, just can't thank you enough, buddy. And uh thank you all, as I mentioned, for your support of this program and the support of the other programs in the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel. We appreciate all of you listeners that tune into this program and uh, you drive the show. You drive the show. Again, before we get out of here, check out all of our stuff on your favorite audio platform iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Megaphone, iHeartRadio. Subscribe to our YouTube channel if you will. Get not only our show, but Matt Minnick's Chalk Talk and the film breakdowns that he does for us. Awesome stuff there. And get all of your news, opinions, analysis, breaking news at cincyjungle.com. Guys like John Sheeran do immense work there. So check it out. And we will see you next time with Ken Anderson.
0: Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI